Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You are listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies, and today my guest is award-winning director Amber Seeley. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. It's good to have you back. As I was saying, you were one of my early guests early on, and we talked about your movie uh, at that time, No Light, No Land Anywhere, which uh, was... a few years ago. Yeah, a really good movie at that time, too. We're going to be talking today about No Man of God, uh, your brand new film about Ted Bundy, and it's fascinating. This I I uh, I can't wait to delve into this movie with you because there's so much to it. It was so layered and so well done. Talk about how you first of all let so our listeners know what this film's about. Why don't you give a synopsis of what No Man of God is about? Yeah, sure. So it is it's based on actual transcripts, recorded conversations between a man named Bill Hagmeyer, who was one of the very first FBI profilers of serial killers and then Ted Bundy, obviously the notorious serial killer. And um, over about five or six years, the two of them kind of forged a friendship of sorts. And and Bill went and he spoke with Ted a lot and they, they grew quite close in, in sort of a weird way that you can, right? Uh, in that sort of situation. And, um, and Ted ended up really entrusting Bill with all of the secrets of his crimes. And so Bill was the person who got him to actually open up and confess. Obviously, he had been caught and convicted on a few of the crimes, but there were, you know, thought to be somewhere even around a hundred other women that he could potentially have murdered. And so, um, yeah, so he came clean about a lot of his crimes with Bill Hagmeyer. And uh, and Bill Hagmeyer went on to become uh, just one of the the, the most um, prolific, is that the word you mm-hmm. use for a, a mm-hmm. FBI agent? Um, it, it, people who worked with a lot of serial killers over the years. And he's now retired and lives in Virginia. So the film um, takes place over this five-year period when they first meet and then to the end of Bundy's life. And, and it looks at kind of the impact that not only Bundy is having on, you know, socially the kind of collective world around him but also more specifically on Bill himself and how it kind of weighs heavy on Bill's psyche um, both forging a friendship with him and just working with him and how it changes his his perspective internally on um, just kind of interacting with the world you know I mean once you've sat and talked to a man who stalks women um, it's going to change your own perspective the next time you see a woman walking down the street right you're thinking oh wow am I a threat to her or what you know so yeah kind of about about a lot of things really there's other layers as well there's the layer of the victims and the women in the room you know how do they feel sitting so close to Bundy and having to listen to him speak about his crimes and the impact that it has on um kind of the the little person I guess for lack of a better word it's it, it this movie it's so intimate and to because it's, it is it's just their conversations mostly I mean it's Elijah Wood who plays mm-hmm. Bill Hagemeyer and Luke Kirby um, I have not seen him in anything I, I know he's been in a lot of things and he's Emmy award winning actor uh, now I'm going to go search for him I'm going to go watch some of the things he's in because he was so brilliant in yeah, this role True. they're both so great yes. I mean Elijah you know I we all know Elijah right know and love him but he is so phenomenal in this role and just you know he did stuff that I'd never seen him do before as Bill and he um, yeah he's just brilliant and Luke is someone I'd been a fan of for a long time I really wanted him for this role but yeah people probably know him uh, he plays Lenny Bruce on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and um, yeah he's uh, he's a real talent so hopefully this will you know get get him on more people's radars well he's certainly on my radar now for sure and you're right Elijah Wood's role. I mean, obviously Luke's role is, you know, got lots of meat 
and lots of things you can delve into, which makes it such a fascinating character because Ted Bundy obviously was in a, in a very fascinating fascinating man. Bill's role in, in, in Elijah playing him is, you know, the foil on the other side. And that's much more difficult to play because it doesn't have as much meat, you know, to it or uh, depth. Oh, well, I shouldn't say depth. It certainly has the, the depth, but he really... Yeah, he's not sh- a psychopath. Right. He shows <laughs> the depth, you know, of how yeah. this relationship has affected them. Now, to watch two men in a room talking mm-hmm. for what, an hour and 40 minutes or whatever, could be... Well, they would sit down for two to three hours oftentimes, and, and yeah, they talked a lot, and they wrote letters, tons and tons of letters back and forth to each other. Well, I'm just talking about watching it as a movie. I mean, you would oh, think, right. oh, yeah, okay. as cool. watching two men sit in a room talking, you would think, oh, my God, is this going to be a snooze fest, right? It, Anything but, because I was sitting at the edge of my seat, actually, throughout this. I mean, not throughout it, but during times during this film. Um, and and how you, the lighting, um, the staging, there's that scene with the woman just standing there, the production assistant just standing there. And the way you shot that was just so brilliant. And just, and, and, and her, and her, and she as an actress, because yeah, that's was, difficult. No, was, no words. Was wonderful. Yeah. And she, um, Hannah was her, her name was Hannah. I'm blanking on her last name. She was a background actor and, uh, and she just did amazing. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, th- that was part of what I loved so much about this film, about this script, you know, when I came on was that it really is a kind of dueling of these two very fierce minds. You know, they're both performing for each other, right? They're both, they both want something from each other and they're pretending like they're casual and this is just a conversation, but Bundy wants Bill to extend, you know, to stay his execution, to extend his life. And Bill wants Bundy to come clean about his crimes and open up about what he did and be honest about what's going on, you know, upstairs. And, um, and so they both want something from each other and they go through a lot of sort of mental sword play. <laughs> and that's part of what I love so much about the script. And, and like I said, these are lifted. I mean, a lot of it is verbatim stuff that they said to each other. We have hours and hours of recordings of these two guys kind of mentally dueling. And it's just fascinating because while they're obviously at cross purposes, they're also both really opening up to each other and talking about very intimate, you know, very real things because Bill kind of has no choice but to open up to Ted in order to get Ted to open up. You know, like when you're when you're playing that that role of the profiler, there are a lot of different tactics, certainly. And I think part of Bill's um, natural charm is just his, you know, his affability and his openness and his sincerity. And so he uses that. Um, you know, uh, to help soften up Ted. And it worked, you know, I mean, Ted was, did not get along with any other FBI agent like he did with Bill. And and in fact, he tried to leave all of his belongings to Bill when he was being executed. He wanted to leave everything to Bill and Bill refused and said he, you know, he didn't want it. But um, yeah, so they were using all their tricks and, you know, things to try to trick the other person and get them to say something they didn't want to say or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting, yeah, I agree with you. You'd think like two men sitting in a room, you know, boring, but it's not. And we, and we really, I'm, I'm glad you noticed all that with the lighting and the camera work and stuff. Cause we worked really hard to have visual expressions of what was going on in their relationship and to have that room be really dynamic and not just, you know, a boring interrogation room, but really find creative ways to use the production design and to use the lighting to make it stand apart visually and to have the scenes be really differentiated from each other. 
And you succeeded brilliantly in doing that. You really did. Um, wh- why were you attracted to this? And and also, you believed a woman should be directing this, and I want to hear that too. So first, why were you attracted to it? And second, uh, why did you believe a woman should be the one who uh, directed this film? Yeah, good questions. I, well, I was attracted to it for a few reasons. Firstly, because I, I let, you know, I'd heard of the the SpectreVision folks, and I wanted to work with them, and I love, you know, I met them, and I liked them, and I felt like we had some common interests. And secondly, I liked that I was an outsider. I liked that I was not, you know, I'm not known as a thriller horror director. I'm not, you know, I'm not a serial killer fan or someone that follows that world very closely. And I thought to myself, this is really interesting, actually. Like, you take someone like me, this sort of more indie, quirky, feminist, you know, ballsy woman director, and what's what's her opinion of this serial killer trope? You know, because there have been so many, particularly movies about Bundy. And so I liked that I was sort of an outsider, you know, and that I had what I thought was a fresh perspective on it, or at least a different perspective on it. And, um, and then I just forgot your second question. What was the second question? <laughs> well, I, I had a very j- short term memory. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> Me too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you answered the first question for uh, the second question first. Oh, did I? See? Yeah, there that's all right. I, that makes no sense. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, you felt okay, so they were kind of combination. Anyhow, what? Oh, how did, was, you, was you asked about a woman director? Right. I thought, why did I think right, that? So right, I sort right. of blended them. But yes, yeah, you did. I, I did think it was important. I thought. I just thought, you know, in today's sort of social political landscape you could not have a movie about two men sitting in a room talking about raping and murdering women and not have there be a very strong female perspective from this so i just thought it's just not going to fly to make this movie with a male director that was my personal opinion <laughs> and i said that when i went in on my my pitch interview and and luckily you know the spectre vision folks were like oh no we totally agree and and so you know we were already on the same page for that and we had we basically had almost all female heads of department on this film. We had a female mm-hmm. DP, you know, female producers as well. We had two male producers as well, but two female producers. We had you know female costumes. Um, you know, we had the production designer is a, was a man, but he's gay. So you know, I thought he did <laughs> a little pass. And also a very old friend of mine, Michael Fitzgerald. Just name check him; he's wonderful. And Karina Silva, the DP, also wonderful. And so we all just kind of worked together collectively to sort of say, like, you know, in this script. We don't see the victims. We don't hear from the victims. But how can we make them very present? You know, how can we say we cannot, you know, we can't just have this movie be just about curiosity about Bundy because that's been done before. And and to me, it's also just not very interesting if that's the only piece. Right. So I wanted there to be these other layers. I wanted there to be the layer of how does this affect Bill? And I wanted there to be the layer of and how does this kind of affect the women sitting in the audience? You know, like every woman I know knows what it's like to walk down a dark street and and hear footsteps behind you and and get scared. Right. We all have experienced that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a different situation for women living in the world. Like we just we have to be more careful. We have to be more aware. We are often more scared. We're often more physically vulnerable. And so that's something that, you know, we've all experienced. And I just felt like, how can we sort of esoterically, it's not the right word, but how can we just sort of bring like the, the the fiber of that to this movie in some way because that's such an important part of this story like people like Ted Bundy are part of why people like me get scared walking down a dark street alone you know and so I just was like those two things even though 
that's the the second part you know the female part is not in this story i thought i gotta weave it in somehow so and i just felt like men it's not that a man couldn't do that i'm sure some could but i just felt like they don't know that feeling intimately as much as as women do and of course i'm completely generalizing here in many ways so you know take everything i say with a grain of salt (laughs) no i no i agree with you because we as women do feel more vulnerable you know in those kinds of it's funny after i watched your movie and i went out for my morning walk I started thinking oh, about it. Oh, no. <laughs> Great. I made you more scared. Great. <laughs> I mean, and it's daylight, and I've walked this for a long, long time. And I'm like, you know, I, <laughs> maybe I should become more, even more aware. Uh, yeah. And I used to live in New York City, and I, I, I had somebody follow me once, and that was interesting. We won't even get into that. But anyhow, so I understand but no, that. But I mean, everyone has those stories. Yes. You know, everyone yeah. has those stories. And I just thought, we can't make this movie and not do and have a nod to that, you know, because the women in the audience are going to sit there thinking about that, you mm-hmm. know. And anyone who was alive when Ted Bundy was, you know, out there, you know, um, mm-hmm. remembers or, or not even just Ted Bundy, any of the other serial killers, you know, like we all remember that, that, that time of like, Oh, close your windows, lock your doors. You know, that's how ha- that happens at certain periods of our lives always. So, um, yeah. So that, I just hope that people think about that, you know, that they, I hope that obviously we're going to get interest in people who are just like they're curious about Ted Bundy and they're curious about Luke's portrayal of Bundy, which is phenomenal. So those people are going to watch. And then there's people that are curious about Bill and his work and profiling and maybe Mindhunter fans and things like that. And those people are going to watch, but I really wanted to bring a new audience to it. You know, I wanted the film to still be artistic and I wanted it to, to, to feel accessible to people like me, you know, because now this is a Bundy film that I would watch. Whereas normally it wouldn't, Bundy films wouldn't really be on my radar, but this one, if I were not the director, Still be right here. Oh, here comes one of my children. <laughs> oh, good. For a minute, I thought we were going to get interrupted. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. Hey, you live. It's live. We're, we're live. Pandemic, folks. Can't <laughs> those weird few weeks, but when camp ends and school has started. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No child care, and it's like, oh. Uh, you're in that period of time, yes, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the casting. Um, how did you, uh, I know Elijah Wood was one of the producers. So how did he become involved in this project? And then we'll talk a little bit about Luke Kirby after we talk about Elijah. Well, Elijah, you know, he should probably say this for himself, but just paraphrasing what I've heard him speak about, you know, they had the script for a number of years and were trying to get it made. And, um, and I think originally he was not interested. Like I think he, he has, a, he has, he's very good at, taking off one hat and putting on another you know when he's a producer he's a producer and when he's an actor he's an actor and he's he knows he knows when he's wearing what hat and when to take the other one off and so he was approaching it very much producerially is that a word Um, (laughs) it is now yeah coined it um and he just knew that it was you know would make an interesting dynamic movie and then i think as the process got going he just started thinking like hey i i I connect to bill i have something to say you know from bill's perspective and so when i came on he was already attached as bill which i was thrilled about i was like great you know i i love elijah i've always been a Mm -hmm. fan of his and yes so i was thrilled and i think elijah has a particular um empathy that he shows on screen like he you know something about his eyes and and he's just genuinely a good person i mean i love telling this story but when we were filming it was very stressful right it was the first time any of us had been out of our homes it was you know just a few months after the pandemic had started and and you know we there were earthquakes and crazy fires like we couldn't breathe the air it was really intense everybody had a moment of like losing their temper for a second and just except for elijah 
Elijah was like cool as a cucumber, kind to everyone, always like so sweet. So he just has a really good core. Mm -hmm. And so does Bill, the real Bill Hagmeyer. He's just a genuinely good person. You know, they're very different as actual people, but there's a goodness to them that I think overlaps really nicely. And so, uh, yeah, so I was thrilled that Elijah was on. And then Luke, Luke was somebody who I kind of had to pursue. I, I just, I got the idea of Luke, you know, you know, you, you start thinking about roles, right? And he came to my mind. And as I said, I've always been a fan of his. And then I started looking at pictures of him and pictures of Bundy and I started lining them up and, and I was like, they look a lot alike, you know, Luke hates hearing that. Um, but I just thought, God, like this, he would be perfect because he he has that sort of lanky 80s manness. You know, like nowadays people are, they think of very male as much more bulky muscles and, you know, and, and Luke is more of a sort of 70s, 80s looking guy to me. And um, yeah, so I, we offered him the part through his reps and he turned it down. He's like, I don't want to play Bundy. I don't think there should be more Bundy movies. And and I contacted him through, he's friends with friends of mine. And so I contacted him personally and I said, hey, listen, I totally respect you not wanting to play the part. You know, can we just meet and talk? And he happened to be coming to L.A. And so we met in a park. It was actually in the very beginning of the pandemic. And we, we stayed six feet away and we walked in a park and we ended up talking for hours and and really shared a lot in common about like, hey, you know, if we're going to do this, we have to do it right. And we have to do it with some sort of edge of something you know it's not just for the gore right which this movie doesn't have any of that this no. is really much more of an intellectual pursuit more of an artistic pursuit um and as i mentioned earlier it's saying something different about the women in the room and the victims and um and so he you know just because i think we shared artistic sensibility he came on and we had a great time and i love them both i mean they both become friends and they're just they're just the sweetest they're so talented and so lovely and it was a really as odd as it is we were making a movie about a killer it was a very life of Affirming experience mm. because both just for the love of the craft and the love of each other, but also you know because of the love of getting to work again after having gone through. Right. If you, you know the car industry shut down for about five or six months, almost completely. You know, so yeah. And then Alexa, Alexa Palladino, um, she's also somebody who I've been a fan of for a really long time, and I'd seen her. She's been in Friends of Mine, uh, their movies, and I just always thought she was great, and she walked in, and again, she just had this, like, 80s vibe to her that I, it, you know, things being authentic to the time period is very important to me, and, and uh, she just was great, and I was I knew I wanted to work with her. I knew she liked to be kind of quirky, creative in the way that I like to, and so she came on, and then Robert Patrick, you know, <laughs> who doesn't love Robert Patrick? Right. He was so much fun to have on set I was always throwing you know different things at him and he was really like you know he's a real fun uh just energetic guy to have on set and um he loved loved doing everything so and then Gilbert Gilbert is, was great as well I'd never met Gilbert but I'd seen him in a couple of things um he was wonderful and you know we had really great casting directors um Amber Horn and Danielle I'm blanking on how to say her name I want to I'm looking at let me see if I can Ofiero I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm terrible at that. Um, but Danielle and Amber are really amazing casting directors and they were so patient with me. You know, I said, I just, you know, I need to comb through everybody and either meet everybody and watch everybody's reel. And they just kept bringing up great people. So, Well, it's a great cast. And, and did you do um, table reads with Elijah and Luke prior to see what their chemistry would be? 
like on screen, or did that just magically happen? No, we rehearsed. We rehearsed over Zoom like this. Okay. Yeah, we did some rehearsals, and we really broke up the the scenes, and you know, like, well, at this moment, what's he? What does he really want here? What does he want here? What's he really saying there? You know, because they're they're all they're often masking, you know, their subtexts, and so yeah, we had it was interesting. We rehearsed like this over. I was in this room. We'd do stretches. I'd say, okay, let's raise our arms and stretch, and they'd be in there. Their rooms. <laughs> was, was, we made it work. He did make it work. Um, was Bill Hagmeyer a, a consultant on this? Yeah, he's uh, he's an EP or a producer. I can't remember what his credit is, but yeah, he's on as a producer, and he was wonderful and so accessible. He also became a friend. Um, I had so many conversations with him about everything and anything, and he sent me. I have some pictures of like actual photos of Bundy that he sent me and of, of him. And he was, uh, he was such a great resource. I would ask him like, what color were your shoes? Can you send me pictures of your oh, teeth? Wow. <laughs> and all that. He was great. Yeah. I wanted it all to be as authentic as possible, you know? Yeah. And we real, we spoke with the real Paul Decker as well, who Gilbert plays, who, uh, you know, became the warden at the prison for many years. And he retired not long ago, but we talked to him about, you know, there were things like I would say, I see that Bundy's wearing a necklace in this photo was he allowed necklaces and shoelaces and belts in prison and and i wanted to make sure that was authentic and they were like yeah he was allowed belt shoelaces necklace like he was allowed all of that all prisoners were unless they were unless they proved that they could not you know if they did something tried to do something with the belt or the shoelace then they would get taken away but otherwise they were allowed a lot of freedoms that people today are not allowed Interesting, because you would think maybe he would commit suicide, because those are the things you could yeah. certainly use for that, but I guess they weren't afraid of that he at was, that moment. Bundy would have never committed suicide. He loved himself too much. <laughs> yeah, and he, he wanted to live. He wanted to live, and he, he kind of enjoyed his fame and popularity, so I don't think he would have wanted to miss a minute of that. Probably not. His ego was so huge, and he probably thought he could get away with all the things that he got away with, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So what was, I mean, we only have a, a minute or two left, but what was, you said you started filming this after the pandemic. What was the most difficult part of shooting this, and when did you start to shoot it? And where? Was it L.A.? Were you in L.A.? It was, we filmed in Los Angeles, just, yeah, and we, we let's, let me think. So we were actually in prep about to, st- we were about four or five weeks away from shooting. And then the pandemic happened and we had to shut down. And then we had a few months where we were like, what is going on? And then if, mm. I don't know if you remember, but the governor and all the unions came out with their rules and regulations for what, you know, what we could do. And so then once all that was going, we were like, okay, we can do this now in a safe way. And we, we had a wonderful specialist, air quality specialist who came in and really taught us a lot. Uh, you know, I know early on in the pandemic, people weren't as aware of how much it was airborne. And what we did was we, um, we recirculated the air in the room every 15 minutes. Oh, wow. So we would make sure every single location had both an ingress and an egress for the air. And we would every 15 minutes stop and, and blow all the air in the room out and, and recirculate it with fresh air. And we had no positive cases. So I, I really think that us doing that was, was a really a big help. I think the hardest thing about production was probably was the pandemic. You know, we were, I, I did not want anyone to die on my watch. I was right, not, right. That's a big responsibility. Older actors and older crew members. And I, you know, who knows what other health issues people have privately. And 
I just, uh, it was really important to me to keep everyone alive. And so that was the hardest thing, honestly, was that we hadn't, now I think it's more regular. People have filmed in the pandemic a lot now, but that was the first time for any of us at that moment. So that right. was the hard. Very difficult. Where can people see No Man of God? It's coming out August 27th, and they can see it in theater, coming out in theaters. If you're, you know, in an area where it's safe to go to the movie theater, please do. It's so fun to see it on the big screen. Yes, I agree. And then they can also see it, you know, you can, you'll purchase it on iTunes and all those other platforms where you can buy movies and uh, yeah it's exciting it is. out really soon well it's it, I, Amber I wish you much success with this film it, it really is uh, beautifully done beautifully photographed gr- great acting I, I really highly recommend this movie so everybody seek out No Man of God and thank you for coming back on the show I look forward to having you back on with your next project yeah thank you it's great to see you again you have too have fun on your walks thank Don't you behind you thank <laughs> Thank you. If you've missed any of the Jam Price Show's All About Movies, they are all archived on thejampriceshow.com. Um, you can also find us on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple, Google, iTunes, anywhere you get YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Jam Price Show. Thank you all for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies.